So it's just me here, uh, and I'm recording just a little summary of a session I played a few days ago. This is a bonus episode that is making up for uh, one of our episodes, which was late a couple weeks ago. So uh, this is to thank you guys for not abandoning us. Uh, So I'm based in Cleveland, and I played this session during the Republican National Convention. Uh, The RNC really decimated the poker games in Cleveland. I mean, most people drive, uh, and downtown was really hard to access by car. Uh, So I wasn't playing earlier in the week because there were only, you know, one or two tables running in the whole casino. But Wednesday, which is the day I went, uh, there's a high-hand promotion from 12 to 6, and I figured that uh, there would either be a decent game going or I would have a really good shot at winning the high hand. Uh, I didn't win the high hand, but the games were really good. So I'm just going to talk through some of the spots I was in that session, uh, the two tables I played, the sort of strategies I was taking on, and then one specific hand. All right. So the first table I sat down at about noon with... Uh, you know, a table that I think most people would describe as just a bunch of uh, classic rag types. You know, 50 to 65-year-old men. Uh, they all knew each other. They all realized that they were there just because the high-hand promotion was on and they didn't have anything better to do. Uh, and in this case, mostly Trump supporters and one sort of awkward, one awkward guy with a Hillary button on. It was a little unusual for me to be in that context because, uh, not that I think politics has much to do with poker, but I happen to be fairly liberal, and I, most of my friends are pretty liberal, so it was interesting to be around a group of conservatives sort of rallying behind uh, their new candidate, Trump. Anyways, so this type of player comes with a pretty uh, well-defined strategy, uh, and you know they have they share a lot of leaks in common. Part of it being that they sort of conform to one another's game and take on a strategy where they all, you know, they're not necessarily ostracized from each other by doing things that are out of the ordinary and sort of arrive at this sort of strange but somewhat predictable strategy. Anyways, uh, what I assumed would happen and, you know, confirmed as we sat down to play was that there was a lot of limp-folding preflop, a lot of limping, you know, up to very strong hands, uh, Three bets were pretty much exclusively queens plus. Some people had a mixed strategy of raising limping. Some people always limped. Uh, some people were more reluctant to limp fold. But that was sort of the general pre-flop strategy. Post-flop, uh, a lot of folding errors on the flop. Uh, so not defending well enough, but uh, post-flop, or not post-flop, but uh, past flop on the turn and river. You know, a lot of people very sticky um, and sort of not as conscious to relative hand strength as they should be. So that's sort of what we're working with. So because people are limping sort of a wide and but somewhat strong range, um, my preflop strategy is to, you know, raise a somewhat polarized range uh, and raise pretty large. Uh, you know, so I'm raising my value hands large because you know, I'm going to get a lot of people to make calling mistakes, especially a couple spots at the table who are uh, you know, involved in more hands than the rest of the table. Uh, 
and I'm polarized because I, I want to be squeezing a lot because a lot of times, uh, you know, my raises are going through. Uh, I'm not necessarily uh, trying to get in the pot with uh, sort of middling hands, hands that don't strop very, f- uh, flop very strong hands very often, just because uh, you know, a lot of times when you get to a flop, you're multi-way, um, and I, I prefer hands uh, that, you know, do well in multi-way pots, and I can, you know, fire off three streets for value uh, with a lot of confidence. You know, of course, in position, I'm playing a much wider range. I also have some limping in my strategy. I didn't uh, do very much at all, just based on the hands I got. But, uh, you know, hands like suited aces in early position, small pairs in early position, these are hands that I'm going to limp just because I don't think that most players are going to adjust very well to the types of hands I'm limping. And these are hands where I don't... You know, with the suited aces, I have good implied odds. Uh, with suited connectors in that spot, I'm probably either just uh, folding or opening, and those are hands that I'm going to squeeze with more readily. Uh, but with the suited aces in early position, I find a limp because if I flop a flush draw, uh, then I don't have any reverse implied odds to worry about. Uh, with the small pairs, uh, I think that flopping sets in these games tends to be very, very profitable because people have a hard time folding top pair. Uh, so I'm just happy to set mine. And I'm not too worried about reverse implied odds in those situations, just because it's so rare to, you know, flop an underset. So that's sort of my pre-flop strategy, and you know that that executed pretty well at that table. There, I didn't end up having a lot of hands, so there wasn't that much to talk about. I think the the next table was a little bit more interesting. Uh, so the the next table was a sort of interesting dynamic because there were. Th- Four really large stacks at the table. Uh, not really large, but 200 big blind stacks plus. Uh, myself, uh, this was a 1-3 game, and I had about s- uh, between 700 and 900 throughout the session. Um, and then three other players, all immediately to my right, uh, which was pretty awesome. And then the remainder of the table, it was a full game for most of it, uh, were mostly very tight and some extremely short-stacked sh- short players. Uh, so what that sort of amounted to was that uh, most of my strat- pre-flop strategy was centered around um, those players to my right who had the deeper stacks because those players were playing a lot more hands. Uh, I'll get to more towards their tendencies in a second, but they were playing a lot more hands, and uh, I was trying to get involved in a lot of pots with them. And because of the sort of size of the pots and the depth of the stacks and the sizings I was using, I couldn't be too worried about, you know, people coming over the top with their 40 and 50 big blind stacks. Uh, not, sorry, not big blind stacks, dollar stacks. So, uh, you know, 10 to 15 big blind stacks, uh, you know, when they were still in the hand. And so most of my strategy was just, you know, targeting the, the larger stacks, uh, w- which I think is fine. Uh, if if all the stacks were smaller, then you know I would take into consideration uh, the likelihood that some of those players are going to be uh, shoving pre-flop. But in this in this scenario, I just don't think it's that relevant. Uh, they also weren't uh, playing their short stacks very aggressively at all, so it was extremely irrelevant in this session. 
Uh, also, I think if I were to table with a bunch of short stacks, I'd probably just try and table change. Uh, just because I think players are more likely to make uh, bigger and more lucrative mistakes you know, when stacks are large. So yeah, this was a, a really awesome table. Uh, so the three players on my right, uh, one was drinking a lot. Uh, he was there for the convention. Uh, and then one player, the person immediately to my right, ended up being a very, very aggressive pre-flat player and also uh, you know, an extreme C-better. And then the player three to my right uh was just, you know, very sticky. Was probably playing, limping, or making small raises like maybe 60% of hands pre-flop and then getting to flop with probably, you know, 40, 40% of all hands. Uh, and uh, just just playing really poorly. Getting very lucky to maintain his pretty large stack. Probably had about $800. Um... So in this scenario, my preflap strategy is I, I'm playing a little bit tighter than I am at the other table, and I'm I'm also uh, I'm opening a, a merged range, not a polarized range, just because I don't think I have very much preflap fold equity at all. So I'm never really light, but I think I'm getting called by a much worse range of hands since the deeper stack players are limp calling very large bets and you know at a very high frequency. Uh, and so I'm, I'm happy to be opening, you know, hands like, uh, ace 10 offsuit and sort of late middle and late positions, uh, queen 10 suited, just because I think the, the hands that are calling me, uh, are on a whole much worse. I'm doing, I'm doing really well against their combined ranges. And since we're playing deep, I'm also raising larger just to make it easier to, uh, attempt to get stacks in in favorable situations post-flop. Uh, so let me talk about one hand that I played sort of early on in the session that given information later in the session, I, I would have played it differently. So I had ace seven of diamonds in, I think I was in the hijack. And this was sort of early on when I was at this table. So the player who ended up being very aggressive post-flop opened a 15 and this was like probably the first time I'd seen him open. Uh, and he was an older player. So I'm hesitant to three bet a large open, uh, you know, to try and get folds against these types of players, just because I think that, you know, that the hands they're opening to these sizes that they're not likely to fold. So uh, I just called behind. Uh, and we got three ways to the flop. So it was me, the guy who opened on my right, uh, and the guy who ended up being very sticky, who I had already seen be pretty sticky. Uh, this player on my right had been up from the table for a little bit, so that's why I hadn't seen as many hands from him. Uh, but yeah, the the very sticky player I had already seen his behavior. Um, so he called out, out of the blind. So I guess if he called out of the big blind, then I must have been sort of in middle position. Okay, so... We see a flop, uh, king, queen, eight, two diamonds. Uh, so I flop a nut flush draw. And uh, it, it checks to the preflop raiser who 
leads out for a very large bet of about $45 into a, a pot of just over $45. So in this situation, I just don't feel like I have really any fold equity. Uh, so I definitely don't want to raise uh, with the nut flush draw. You know, we're pretty deep. Uh, the effective stack pre or before the hand was about 800, so we're still about 750 behind. Uh, and so I think I'm definitely uh, fine to just draw in this spot. And I know that this player is pretty sticky, so I think he'll probably be drawing uh, or calling, you know, with the hands that he maybe shouldn't call a lot. And he, so we both called. So to the flop, it's about 180. Um, and the flop, or let's start, the turn was a blank. I can't remember what it was, but it uh, was not a, a very relevant card. And it checked to the razor again. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, it was a somewhat relevant card, not necessarily to my hand, but it was a nine. Uh, so some draws came in. Uh, you know, 10 jack would have been an open and a draw on the flop. Uh, so our villain bet 125. And I, again, ought to just a call. Uh, I think folding is not great here because uh, I think my implied odds are really good. I think when I hit my flush, I'm going to get a bet in for sure. And I think that there's definitely some times where, uh, you know, really either player, but especially the stickier player, you know, there's some flush over flush possibilities, uh, which could be very profitable for me. He's also sitting with a very similarly sized stack. Uh, so I have to just call. Um, the one thing I was worried about is that uh, the player behind me, you know, having a, a raising range, which would put me in a really terrible spot here, uh, if he does have a, a straight, which I think, you know, make, it's, a, it's definitely a hand that he would play this way. But I think since he's playing so many hands, uh, you know, I think he's probably calling even some queens on the flop, that it's, it's pretty safe to call here. So I call... Uh, and he calls behind, and then the river bricks, and it, it checked, uh, and the the preflop razor let out for 125 again. Uh, you know, it's a pretty small bet. Uh, he's betting 125 into you know a pot of like over 500. So I was tempted to raise, but with with a player behind who's pretty sticky, I think it's just not a great uh, time to turn my hand into a bluff. Uh, I also think that this player, knowing that we didn't raise and that none of the draws came in, was probably trying to give uh, our more speculative hands a good price or could have even been fishing for a raise. So, yeah, I think it's definitely just a pretty straightforward fold. And so I folded, and both both players folded, and he took down the pot. You know, so the information that I got about this player later is that he was, you know, opening very wide to this same sizing, 15. And he's C-betting almost, I would say, 90%. Uh, and then, so the adjustment I think I would have made is that I would have definitely considered raising on the flop, uh, you know, a lot more heavily with this hand. I still think it's probably a call is best, Uh and to be honest, I haven't put a ton of thought into this hand. 
Uh, so I think calling is probably best just because I think my implied odds are really good and uh, I don't mind keeping this player in the hand. Um, but I definitely think I have a lot more fold equity uh, because I think this player is, you know, c-betting a lot of hands that I would like to fold and probably don't make sense to c-bet into two players. You hands like jacks, tens, nines, ace highs, queens, uh, hands that probably would prefer to check and maybe call uh, rather than get turned into sort of a strange bluff um, are getting bet here. But I still think a call might be best. Uh, but that that's it makes it, I think, a much closer decision with that information. You know, to sort of stay on the subject of adjusting to these players, one, one thing I did against this player is whenever... I was in a hand with him where he did not see bet. Uh, I I had a pretty much an automatic bet with uh, any hand that wasn't sort of an ex- explicitly in a head or behind hand. Or, or that's not true. I mean, I actually wasn't in any situations with value hands where he checked to me. Uh, but I was definitely, you know, turning even the lowest equity of hands into bluffs in that spot when he checked to me. Uh, you know, after being the preflop raiser. So that's sort of a taste of, you know, what my thought process, you know, at a live session is like. And I I would love anybody's input uh, on the A7 hand, especially given the read, uh, if you think it's a better flop call or flop raise. Uh, And if you think that, you know, any comments you have on sort of my pre-flop strategy or the things I'm noticing at the table, uh, that would all be, you know, super appreciated. So always feel free to write in. you can find a, a contact form on our website, justhandspoker.com. You can also feel free to send in hands, as always. Uh, we have a pretty exciting episode this week. We have Thinking Poker's Nate Mavis on, and he brought in a really awesome hand. Uh, and I think we had an, a really cool discussion, uh, so I'm excited to share that with you guys on Tuesday. Uh, but yeah, until then, hang tight, and we'll see you soon.